The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. If you look with me in Romans 5, this is a little bit of a lengthy text, but follow along with me in Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more has the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of God, by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous." Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in Adam, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, God's word abides forever, and by his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. So I have three questions I'm going to ask you, but first of all, I want to acknowledge something. We have spent three Lord's Days in Romans 5, verses 1 through 11. Three Lord's Days. And I will confess to you, I wish I could take a month of Lord's Days. This text that was foundational for the Reformation is so deep, it is so rich, these great heart-lifting, heart-exhilarating, 
glorious truths from the gospel just reverberate in that text. In it, we're told that the eternal love of God that was for his people before the foundation of the world was demonstrated at the cross where Christ redeemed his people from their sin. In it, we're told that the love of God, the love of God was expressed at the cross at the right time. In it, we are instructed of the vicarious death of Christ where Christ died for, and I quote from the text, for his enemies at the right time, for sinners, for the helpless, for the weak, for the ungodly, that Christ died for us and he did that work out of his grace, not out of our merit. And that was a glorious work that he has done. In that, in that text is the full assurance that the God who never started loving you, has always loved you, will never stop loving you. His love isn't beginning at the cross, it is demonstrated at the cross, where he looses us from our sins. In it is the full assurance, having now been justified by grace through faith in Christ. In it came the watchwords of the Reformation. The, the most glorious work of the Holy Spirit, I believe, since Pentecost itself was the Reformation, where the corruption of the church, the corruption of theology, the corruption of the doctor, of doctrine, the corruption of the gospel itself was addressed with clarity and those marvelous five solos that were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, assured by the truth of God's word, which alone is our rule of faith and practice. I just love Romans 5, 1 through 11, the soil of the Reformation. I love it. The magisterial text for the magisterial reformers. Um, I delight in it. It tells us what he has done for us. It tells us that it gives us the joy of our salvation. It gives us, well, let me just, can I just give you this illustration? I hadn't planned on it and hopefully I'm not out of turn on this, but one of our dear sisters went to be with the Lord. I had the privilege to do this, the memorial service, um, Miss Emily Ward or Coach Ward, Teacher Ward, and uh, of course the mother of two fine young men and her husband. Uh, who served, they've served here wonderfully as a family. And uh, one of the last times she was able to be here, right on the note sheet, it was the Romans 5, 1 through 11. And in it, she was, she just wrote out and underlined, knowing she was on the timeline to meet Jesus soon. She wrote those five gospel legacy blessings from Romans 5, 1 through 11. We have peace with God. We rejoice in the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. And just think of what she was going to, this great warrior poet, young lady. And then it says that we have access to God, knowing she was soon to be in the presence of God. And then it declares the glory of God by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, that fifth legacy who dwells within us. Well, what a great text. 
We were in it for three Sundays. I wish I could have stayed more, honestly. Now we head to this one, and I have a confession I have to make um, because of what happened in the last service. I had planned to cover all the verses I just read for you this morning. Um, didn't happen. Uh, I just um, I went a little too far. Um, I thought I was going to be able to do something I wasn't able to do. So I'm, I actually covered one-third of what I had planned to cover this morning. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, that text that I just read for you automatically, and I've got six, I got 16 commentaries that after I studied the text, I go to those commentaries and, uh, and I, all of them but two divide that text I just read for you up the same way because grammatically it just falls into those. It, we find it, there are three themes in this text. Two men, two works, and two results. That's what it does. So my, my earnest expectation and hope was to go through two men, two works, and two results. I got two men. That was it. So that's all you're going to get this morning, which means we'll come back to this. So when you see the title on your page this morning of the sermon, you can write out to the side of it, part one. All right? So then we'll be back. But I want to get into this. But how can I set this up? You know, uh, in your mind and in my mind, well... As much, now listen to me carefully, please. It is, it's Romans 5, 1 through 11. So is, uh, it's just so intense, so dense, so high, the height, the breadth, the depth, the, the gravitas of it and the joy of it is so overwhelming. And now we go to this text that I just read and I know what you were feeling as I was, wait a minute, I'm losing my way in this. Wait, 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 one what? It goes to many what? And one this and all that and one sin here and many obedient, uh, many, uh, much obedience over here. Pastor, what in the world is this saying? So I want to acknowledge to you, this is a challenging text for the mind. But I also want you to know something. If you'll hang in here with me, this will be as, this will be as exhilarating for your heart and your soul as verses 1 through 11 was. Because it answers something for us. When I, let me get at it this way. Um, when people ask me, why did you major in history and theology? I said, I found out I only had to take one science class and one math class. That's why. And uh, so I am not a science or math kind of guy at all. And uh, so I confess that. Uh, but there is one there is one exception that did get my attention when I was in high school, and that was geometry. Now, part of the reason is one of my coaches taught it. Uh, he was a good coach, and he was a good teacher. Uh, coach Reed. And uh, so a reader kind of likes a coach read. And and I enjoyed his class. And I got kind of drawn into it a little bit. Now, every time I think of this, every time I think of this class and what it meant to me uh, and, and how I want to present it to you to help us get to this, uh, I can't help but think of when I went... You paid the, you paid the freight and sent me to Charlotte in 1983 to plant a church and we planted that church and 16 other churches through daughters and granddaughters and, and two presbyteries came out of that. And it was a great ministry. I really loved being there for 17 years in my hometown. But when I was going, but it was my hometown and I was afraid. I remember sitting right over there, Highway 280 talking to Frank. Frank, can you go back and plant a church in your hometown? Doesn't it say that a prophet doesn't have any honor? 
And uh, so we and we had a very interesting discussion about that. Frank had to wake up twice, but he uh, he didn't. He but we kept right at it, went through it, and um, and it was just wonderful insights. And uh, so I went back there. One of my fears was is I had a very unchristian life before, and I'm going to be up there. My one of my great concerns I'm going to be up there preaching, and somebody out there is going to be hearing it and take a handkerchief out of their pocket and start waving it and say, "Hey." Ike, remember me? <laughs> and uh, so that, that was one of my big concerns. That almost happened, but it didn't quite happen. I was preaching one Sunday. I'd been there very long, and the Lord was growing the church. And, and there was a young lady sitting out there. I said, man, I know that girl. And uh, so she came out, and she had the same uh, first name as my oldest sister. And uh, Vicky said to me, she said, uh, hey, uh, Ike, how are you doing? And I said, Vicky, well, she was in my geometry class. She actually sat right behind me in geometry, and uh, she dated one of my uh, good good friends, and so I remembered her. And she later married uh, another good friend of mine. So I did remember. I hadn't seen her for I don't know how many years, but there she was. And she said, she said, well, I heard you were a Christian. And I told people I didn't believe it. And so I had to come see it myself. And I said, well, I'm glad. She said, now, I'm already in a church. I don't think I'm a potential member. But she said, I am so glad I came. She said, you actually are a Christian. And she said, I really enjoyed that sermon. She said, but I, I've just got one problem. I said, what's that? She said, you know, you know, we were together in geometry. I said, yeah, you sit right behind me. She said, she said, you know, I don't, I don't remember you being that smart. And <laughs> I said, well, I, I can understand why you, uh, why you do that. She said, but I am so glad you know the Lord now. And she said, I'll be back. I'll be back to visit. Now, Geometry, though, was a little bit different for me. I might have stayed awake a little bit longer there than other classes. And the reason why is Coach Reed introduced us to the axioms that you've got to know to do geometry. And so I studied these axioms. And and I remember him telling us, we are going to look at problems that you think there's no solution. We're going to look at problems that you think are way too complex to have a solution. But if you will remember the right axioms, axioms, and if you'll remember these axioms, what is confounding you will become clear. What is confusing you will gain clarity. What you think is unsolvable will be solved. What you think is so complex will soon be simple, but you've got to remember the axioms. That's where we are in Romans 5. There, uh, there are questions that this text answers. It challenges the mind. You've got to hang with me for a couple of weeks. But when you get these foundational axioms in place, let me get started with you. Who does Jesus tell us to share the gospel with? Who did, let's do, let's pretend like we're not Presbyterians. Let's talk. So, uh, who, who does Jesus tell us to share the gospel with? Everybody, right? Hello, right? Okay, so he tells us to share the gospel with everybody. Why does he tell us to share the gospel with everybody? I think I know. Everybody needs a savior. Because everybody is lost. Because everybody is a sinner. Am I right? 
Well, how'd that happen? I mean, how many billions of people have been born? You mean none of them? Couldn't we have found a couple that don't sin? I mean, why, why would we say... Why would we say, I mean, what made Romans 5, 1 through 11 so great is Romans 1, Romans 1, 18 through chapter 4 said, we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Isn't there the possibility of an exception? I mean, we're talking billions and billions of people. I mean, couldn't there have just been one who is, um, what do we call it, an exception? Couldn't there have just been one exception out there? Of all of these created in the human race, all are sinners. Why is it? No matter who you talk to, where you go, why is it? Why is, why is there the universality of sin in everybody? Why is there the universality of shame? Why is there the universality of guilt? Why is there the universality of death? All die. Why isn't there some exception out there? Let me ask you a question. Will Jesus lose any of those that the Father has given to him? Will any of God's elect be lost? No. Well, one, what about at least one? Maybe just a couple. Why is it everyone needs to hear the gospel because everyone is a sinner? Everyone is bearing the guilt of sin, the fear of death and its enslavement, the shame of sin. Why is everyone born sinners headed to eternal condemnation? No exceptions. Why is it that the elect of God might be assured of their salvation that none can possibly be lost? Why is it? We have just bathed in the joy of the gospel promises that are yes and amen in Christ Jesus and that we enjoy by the grace of God. Well, how did that happen? How can we declare assurance? How did God accomplish that? Well, here is a axiom that God built into creation for the purposes of redemption. And it is manifested in the fall. He put it in creation, a certain theological principle. And because of its presence... When Adam fell, everybody fell. All of Adam's race. And when Christ saved his people, all of them are saved. The redeemed race. Why is it in the covenant of works, through the mediatorship of Adam, All die. 
Why is it in the covenant of grace with one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, that all of his live? You see, what this writer, Paul, does under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, having given you the what of the glories of the gospel, now comes to the how. We even anticipate it, don't we? Two of my favorite songs are because of the gospel is Amazing Grace. I think we all probably identify with that. And another one we just sang last week, Amazing Love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? There is one axiom that is given in this text that is crucial. And when that axiom is given, we find out we have two unique men. We find out they did two glorious works. They did two works. One glorious, one condemning. And we find out there are two results. Now, I wish I could do them all. I wish I could do all three of those from the text together. I can't. And my reason is they all flow together. I wanted to try to do them together. I'm just not able to do them together and actually teach it. I could recite it, read a paper and maybe get through it, but I can't do it and preach it and teach it. And therefore, and I know I lo- particularly with summer coming, I lose the captive audience uh, week by week. But uh, I'm just going to ask you to try to stay connected to these three, uh, these three glorious themes, the two men, the two works, and the two results. Let's take a look at the two men. Go back with me to that, that text in uh, chapter 5 and verse 12. Uh, chapter 5 and verse 12. You see that word, therefore? He, now he has connected himself to everything that went before. What he is about to say is, is explaining everything that he has already said. He has said we're all helpless. We're all hopeless. He has said when there was no way, God has made a way. And that way is his son, Jesus. And he has provided something that we call a glorious message called the gospel. It is the power of God to make helpless sinners from death come to life. The Bible tells us that we who were dead in our sins, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope with the power of the gospel in the hands of the spirit. And we are not only, we are not only, um, redeemed by the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit to be born again with a new heart. We're given a new record. So we who are hopeless because of the record of our sin now have a new record and it's one where our sins have been wiped away because God, God's son has taken our judgment and removed our shame and our guilt and his righteousness now comes to us. What a glorious truth that the wages of sin, which is death, has now been addressed by the free gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, God, how did you do that? How did we get in the problem that we've got, the predicament that we are as sinners, and how is it that you were able to solve that for us? And it actually is effective and assures us of that salvation. I'll give you a word. It's the word federalism. I want to give you another word. (laughs) Uh, Two words. Federal theology. Now, some of you immediately say, wait, I think that sounds familiar. I had a civics class. 
Oh, I live in a country that has borrowed this theology for government. We call it federal. We call it a federal, a constitutional federal republic. And that through election, through an election, we elect a representative. And our election results, we got what, a primary coming up this week. That's part of the election process. Our election, our vote, and that election puts in place a representative. And when he votes or she votes, I just voted. You heard the phrase, elections have consequences. That's because we're a federal republic. And when we elect a president, when he presidents, we have presidented. When a congressman or a senator vote, we just voted. That's the principle of federalism, representation. Well, the Almighty in creation placed the principle of federalism, federal theology, the one for the many, the one for the all. But it was not by us voting. It was by divine appointment. The Almighty appointed the representatives, and he appointed two representatives. He appointed Adam, and by the way, there are two Greek, there are two words in the Hebrew language for man. One is ish, ish, that means man. Isha, reflection of man, we translate woman. But the word that is given Adam his name, Adam, is mankind. So Adam is not only Adam, the man, but the representative of mankind, his entire race. And Christ, the second Adam, is in fact, has now become a man and is the representative of the new humanity, all of those that the Father has given to him. That's why he's given another name, Jesus. You shall call his name Yeshua, Jehovah saves. God has come as a man, Emmanuel, to save who? You shall call his name Jesus, for he has come to save from all of humanity his people. All that the Father gives to him. And he loses not one. Now, watch how this flows in the text. Go with me again to the text. Therefore, how did sin come into the world? See, our axiom starts to work. Why is it sin is present? Just as sin came into the world through one man. Now, who is that one man whereby sin came into the world? So if y'all don't mind, I've got to just kind of go from preaching to teaching just a little bit here. Who is that one man? 
That's Adam. So through one man, sin came into the world. What's the wages of sin? And death through sin. So why is it everybody is a sinner? Why is it everybody dies? Why is it everybody has the guilt and shame and the fear that comes from sin and the reality of death appointed because of Adam? Through one man and his one sin came sin to all men. That's why we can write Romans 3.23. All have sinned. That's why we can write Romans 3.10-19. through 19. There is none who is righteous. No, not one. All have turned aside. All have gone their own way. Why? It was assured when Adam sinned. And then when he sinned, that means we sinned. And death is brought. And not only do all of his race, and and dare I say this now, that's why I fight constantly against atheistic Darwinianism and one of its principles that shows up by either dividing humanity into three races, five races, or seven races. I believe that is wrong. It is theologically wrong. The Bible is clear. Go read Acts 17. Paul says, God made of one man the entire human race. There are multiple ethnicities because of the judgment of sin at Babel. But there are multiple cultures and multiple ethnicities, but there is only one race. Every one of us have DNA in us that was in Adam. From one man comes the human race. And so that from that one man, we all come. And that one man and his one sin brings sin. The wages of sin is death. That brought sin to us. That brought death to us and death through sin. But now watch. And as death spread to what? Who? All men. Male, female, young, old. No matter what pigmentation you have. All men. And death spread to all men because all sinned. So not only is there the reality that he, that he sinned and we sinned in him, but now our actual sin is the result of his original sin. So all of us actually sin because we're born sinners. It's not we're born a blank tablet, a noble savage, and it just kind of worked out. Everybody sinned. We're not our own Adam. We're all of the race of Adam. Therefore, we are born sinners. And we are born with an appointment of death. And because we have that sin nature we're born with, then we also actually sin. Now watch. He's going to emphasize it in an interesting way. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Now those of you, um, we're going to have in a couple of weeks our children's catechism class. And you're going to, if you study your catechism, which I tell you, you ought to, it's the best discipleship tool we've got. If you study your catechism, you'll find out that sin is, is defined by what? The transgression of God's law. Well, when did you have God's law? You had God's law in the book of Exodus. When did you get Exodus? Through the authorship, the Holy Spirit inspired authorship of Paul, of Moses. 
Well, what about from Adam to Moses? Here's what he's telling you. The law which defines sin did not originate sin. Sin originated in Adam. Therefore, all born of Adam sin. Even before the law was graciously given to show us our sin. So he says, he says that, and, um, and so death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. How? The law doesn't originate sin. Sin originated with Adam. And it was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. But our sins are counted. Why? Because they came in Adam. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even though the law wasn't here, death reigned. Why? Because sin was here. Why? Because it originated in Adam. And it was not like the transgression. Of, and so um, and Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. And then he goes on to speak of who is this one who is to come. Well, slip down with me to uh, the next verse. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, that's Adam, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. So now we know who the one is that Adam was the type of. And that's the second Adam, and that's Jesus Christ. So Adam, so Adam is the first man and the first Adam and Jesus is the second man and the second Adam and the last man and the last Adam. So here he stands at the pre, at the point of Adam as our federal head. The judgment followed one trespass, but redemption will come by the obedience of the one who will remove all the trespasses of all of his people. For all of eternity. Slip down to verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So how did Adam become our representative? Not by our election. How did Jesus become the representative of the redeemed? Not by our election. Not by our vote but by the divine appointment. Adam was the head of the human race. Christ is the head of the redeemed race, the forgiven race, those who are redeemed from the judgment of sin. Now, folks, this federalism is all over your Bible. You see it all over. You see it in events. Have you ever, have you ever seen someone that's on a team and they, they score the, the only touchdown and the winning Touchdown. Well, if they got any sense and any integrity, do you know what they say next? Here's what they say. Oh, yeah, we won. Not I won. We won. When I cross that goal line, my whole team crossed that goal line. Let me give you an example from the Bible. You remember that account when there was no champion to represent Israel? And then one stepped up, an unlikely one. What was his name? who stepped up to fight the, the giant that was taunting Israel, Goliath. Who stepped up? David. And what does the Bible say when God enabled David to take him down? All Israel rejoiced they had won. 
when those warriors went home, having watched what happened through David. I'm certainly they talked about David, but if their sons asked them, Daddy, what happened? We won. We won. Israel won the victory. So here is that principle of federalism at work. You see it in the ceremonial law time and time again. Let me just give you one. When the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies with the offering, he brings the sins of the people. And God built the concept into the vestments he wore. As the breastplate had 12 stones. And the 12 stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And when he went before God with the sacrifice, all Israel went with him. One of my favorite moments in this is, of course, uh, is, well, let me, let me, let me do it this way. Jesus is our Messiah. Amen? That means he fulfills three offices. What are the three offices he fulfills? Prophet, priest, and king, right? Prophet, priest, and king. What tribe did the prophets come from? Hold it. Be careful. I'm going to trick you. Any of them. Come from any of them. What tribe did the kings come from? Now, be careful. Judah. The tribe of Judah. The scepter shall not leave the tribe of Judah. So, can Jesus be our prophet? Yes. He is, of the, he is of one of the 12 tribes. Can Jesus be our king? Yes. He's of the tribe of Judah. Judah. Two genealogies point that out. The genealogy of Mary and Luke and the genealogy of, the, of his adopted father, um, uh, Joseph, and Matthew. Well, wait just a minute. Is Jesus our priest? Is Jesus our high priest? Well, wait. Only the high priest had to come from what tribe? Levite. Well, wait, wait. How can, how can he be our high priest? Cause he's not a Levite. He's not from the tribe of Levi. How can he? Well, because of a certain messianic psalm. And this is how we'll end today. Go with me to Psalm 110. Go with me to Psalm 110. Psalm 110. I want you to look at a couple of texts, but I'm just going to look at this one now since we're going to uh, do a little bit of editing on the sermons that I wanted to bring, the sermon I wanted to bring you today. So we'll just finish here. Psalm 110. This is a messianic psalm, and we're told of the Messiah and what he would do. Look at Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Boy, isn't that appropriate. Does anyone know what Sunday this is? This is Ascension Sunday. Jesus is ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father. The Lord sends, and then he says this, The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. He's king. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely 
on the day of your great power in holy garments. You will empower them by the Spirit of God. They'll be born again. And they'll volunteer freely because their wills have been set free through the new birth. And they will be wrapped in holy garments. They will not only be born again, they'll be justified. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. Now watch. The Lord has sworn, will not change his mind. You, the Messiah, are a forever priest. You are a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus does away with the Levitical priesthood, which is a temporary priesthood. Because he is the eternal priesthood as revealed in the priest prophesied, uh, encountered in the book of Genesis and included in the Messianic Psalm, the priesthood of Melchizedek. Y'all know the text in Genesis, don't you? Abraham went to war. He won the victory on his way back to, back to his uh, home. He stopped off in the valley of Shevet. He stopped off in the king's valley and he was met by the king of Salem. He was met by the high priest Melchizedek, king of Salem, king of righteousness, and high priest than the high priest of God. But this, this Melchizedek, as he is explained in the book of Hebrews, is an eternal priest. He has no genealogy. He has no father. He has no mother. This is what we call a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And now this king priest, this royal priest, this, um, this magisterial priest appears before Abraham. And what does Abraham do in the book of Genesis and affirm in the book of Hebrews, he does three things. He pays him a tithe, he worships, and he bows the lesser to the greater. Well, Harry, what does that mean? Well, here is Melchizedek, a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, the one who is the eternal priesthood. And what does Abraham do? He bows, he pays the tithe. And he worships the lesser to the greater. And who is in Abraham's womb? Isaac. And Isaac's son. I mean, I'm sorry, not Abraham's womb. Abraham's loins. Who is in Abraham's loins? His son Isaac. Who is in the loins of Isaac? Jacob. Who is in the loins of Jacob? His 12 sons, of which one is what? Levi. So when Abraham bowed, Levi bowed. And the greater does away with the lesser. The greater priesthood is what Christ is. The eternal priesthood, Melchizedek. And here you see federalism at work again. Headship stands in its place. Well, I'm out of time, so let me just uh, give you a takeaway. And the takeaway is pretty simple for me. It's this one. Uh, what is your, who is your representative before the throne today? Now, let me tell you, you start out by divine decree, Adam. You're in Christ. You're in Adam. And here was Adam. And here was the probation. And here is the sin and the guilt and the death and the shame. And condemnation. 
But here is a second Adam, Christ. And with his obedience, Adam in his disobedience brought death, sin to all and shame and condemnation. But the second Adam took away that sin with his obedience. His passive obedience where he takes our sin on him in the cross and pays for it. His active obedience whereby he provides for us a perfect righteousness for all eternity. There is the perfection of our Adam Christ. So I simply ask you today. Are you still in Adam? Or by God's grace and faith and repentance as God works on your soul. Have you come to Christ and you're in Christ? If you're in Adam, all die. If you're in Christ, all shall be made alive. Just allow me one minute. Go to, go, just, I said two texts. You owe me one more text. Go to, go to, go to, go to 1 Corinthians 15. This is how I finish. Here's how I finish. 1 Corinthians 15, they argued about the resurrection. Here's what he said. Don't get, don't worry, I'm done. I just want to read this for you. Slip down to verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That's his people. For as by a man came death. Who is that? Hello? By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Who is that? Now watch what he says. For as in Adam, all die. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now watch. Adam. Now watch me. Adam, all die. Christ, all made alive. Wait, Harry, are you telling me you believe in universal salvation? Oh, no, no, no. Because there's another verse to read. Read the next verse. As in Adam all die, in Christ all shall be made alive. Then look. He says, he says next. He says, um, uh, wait a minute, what happened to my text? It's gone. There it is. Oh, Rome 20. Here we are. Look at what he said. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming... Those who belong to Christ. Who belongs to Christ? All that the Father gives him. Who are they? The elect of God. Look here. Look here. You got two Adams. You got two alls. Adam. His all is the human race. Christ. The second Adam. His all are those who are his. Whom the Father has given him. May I ask you today. Before the throne. Will Adam be your representative? Or Christ? Come to him. Today. Adam. Sin. Death. Condemnation. Christ. Obedience. Life. And salvation. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for the moments that we could be together in your word. Thank you for my dear brothers and sisters that are here. Thank you for the privilege to rejoice in your goodness and your grace and your mercy in Jesus Christ. I do pray and ask you, Father, that every single person that is hearing my voice would not hear my voice, but your voice and come from the tomb of sin into the presence of Christ. By the power of Christ. That they are in Christ. And Christ in them. Lord, help us leave Adam. And come to Christ. And be counted in him. And therefore, through him, have everlasting life. None of Adam's race can exist without sin and its consequences of judgment. And none of Christ's race will be touched by that judgment, for Christ has already taken it. And all of Christ will enjoy the blessings of everlasting life. And he loses not one of his own whom you have given him. Praise his name forever. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.